Wired.com presents The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. And here is your host, David Barr Kirtley. Hello, and welcome to episode 270 of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. Today on the show, we'll be discussing eight recent horror movies that were recommended by our friend Seth Dickinson. And those movies are Don't Blink, Circle, The Invitation, Baskin, They Look Like People, Hush, The Void, and Under the Shadow. And this will potentially involve spoilers for all of those movies, so just be aware of that. And I'm joined by three guests. So first up, we've got Seth Dickinson, who you may remember from our panel on Cyberpunk back in episode 53, our panel on Dinosaurs and Science Fiction back in episode 155, and our panel on Writers Under 30 back in episode 242. His short story, Three Bodies at Mitanni, appeared in the Best American Science Fiction and Fantasy 2016, and his first novel, The Traitor Baru Cormorant, has appeared on countless Best of 2015 reading lists. He's also studied bias in police shootings and written lore for Bungie's smash hit video game, Destiny. So Seth, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Then next up, we've got Grady Hendrix, making his 10th appearance on the show. He's the author of such novels as Satan Loves You and My Best Friend's Exorcism, and his novel Horror Store, about a haunted Ikea, is being developed for television by Gail Berman, producer of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel. His nonfiction book Paperbacks from Hell, about the horror boom of the 70s and 80s, will be out in September. So, Grady, welcome to the show. Thank you. Excited to be here. Number 10. <laughs> And also joining us today is Maya Prohovnik, who you may remember from our panel on the Dark Tower movie back in episode 268. She's the head of operations at Anchor, creators of the Anchor app, which bills itself as the easiest way to make a podcast from your phone. She's also the creator of the website The Dairy Connection, which attempts to list out all of the connections ever found between books in the Stephen King universe, and she's seen pretty much every indie horror movie from the last 10 years. So Maya, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Okay, so I think I'm going to start off with the two movies that I didn't like so much out of this list. And so maybe it's just because I don't like gore all that much, but uh, Baskin and The Void, I was a little meh on. Mm. And Seth, I, I remember specifically telling you I did not want to watch movies where people were tied up and tortured. And I don't know if you remember the ending of Baskin that well, but that's pretty much the entire second half of the movie. So... I'm just kind of curious if you could talk about why uh, Why did you want to recommend these two movies for me? Well, first, I want to uh, exculpate myself by saying that I had no idea the movies I mentioned were going to be used for a uh, group watch on a very prestigious podcast. I thought we were just having a casual conversation at a summer camp. But, uh, yeah, as is, I, I mentioned those two because uh, there are movies I saw that I thought had really distinct aesthetic and that a lot of people were excited about um, in the sort of indie horror scene, which Maya probably knows much better than me. Uh, I guess I didn't think of them uh, when I was recommending them to you as torture porn movies, because I was thinking of stuff like Saw or uh, Would You Rather, where that's sort of the point of the movie. The point is to smear the viewer and the, the sadism of the exercise. Uh, when I just thought of Baskin, it's more like a more graphic version of Hellraiser or something. And The Void, I thought it was just John Carpenter makeup. Like, it's kind of a technical exercise in gore rather than a, a fetishistic one. Right. Why don't you say, Seth, what are these movies about, just for people who haven't seen them? Yeah, Baskin is about a group of Turkish cops. Baskin, I think, is uh, just means the raid or something like that. 
uh, who go to investigate a weird building and basically end up uh, trapped in hell, more or less. And The Void is about uh, a sort of rural cop uh, who ends up uh, trapped in a hospital with a motley cast of characters surrounded by these eerie cultists. And it turns out there's a conspiracy within the hospital to kind of open these Lovecraftian portals and uh, bring in the other world. I felt like the void is kind of just the American version of Baskin. Yeah, (laughs) a little bit. Yeah, I would put them both in the genre of people wandering around poorly lit basement movies. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but uh, but they're gory, right? Do people agree with me that these are gory movies? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Grady doesn't agree with me that these are gory. No, I do. I do. They are. They are. Yes. Yes, they are gory. Uh, I mean, like, I agree with you, Seth, that the, the Void, I wasn't particular. I mean, it's it's got all sorts of weird monsters and grotesque body stuff. And uh, it didn't gross me out in the way that Baskin did. But I guess that I felt like the Void, um, I, I felt like they uh, they have this nurse that turns into a giant monster. And it ha- seems like it happened really early in the movie, like yeah, really 20 early. minutes into the movie or something. And I felt like they had not established... Uh, enough of a sense of reality to throw such a weird monster so early in the movie. Uh, do you agree with that? Definitely. I, I didn't like the void that much. Uh, and I think it's cause of a pretty weak script. Um, felt like a movie with great ideas that didn't know how to present them. And one of my biggest problems with it was I, I kept having to back up as I was watching to make sure I hadn't missed anything like, uh, characters would move from one place to another that, you know, like suddenly someone you thought was okay. is like, been transformed into a tentacle monster. And you're like, wait, I I think I watched this movie all the way through. <laughs> I'm not totally clear on how these tentacles got here. Well, so wait, so why did you recommend it then? Uh, it was definitely a movie that got talked about a lot before release. Uh, and I think it's a really striking movie. It's got a lot of really cool visuals. And that's part of why I watch kind of cheaper, low-budget horror, which The Void definitely was, because... Let's filmmakers play a little bit more than on a, I guess, like a full release kind of budget. See, Ma, you want to say a little bit more about just how much did you like these two movies? Yeah, yeah. So I, uh, well, so The Void, I'll start with. Um, I thought it was really fun. It's not a great movie by any means, but I agree with with Seth. Like my favorite kind of horror movie is the stuff that's just like uh, silly and over the top. And I don't, like when I'm watching horror, I'm not necessarily looking for a great uh, I should say like great dialogue. I like a good story, like something that's interesting, but I don't really care if the dialogue is bad. I feel like that's not really what I get out of horror movies. Um, so I thought the monsters were really fun and different. Uh, I liked the, the wacky ending where it's sort of like, Ooh, you know, where are they? What's happening? Um, Baskin though. I, so I loved the first half of Baskin. I thought it was going to be a great movie. And then as soon as they got to the basement, I was like, I hate this. Yeah. Um, well, I, I sort of thought Baskin, like, it, yeah, the first half sort of sets up all these mysteries or sort of promises that something interesting is going to happen in the second half that never, to my mind, pay off. Do you agree with I that? Sort of, I felt like they were trying to do the audition thing where it's like the first half of the movie is like this, you know, sort of heartwarming, interesting character building story. And then the second half is gruesome. But I just felt like the second half didn't pay off enough. Like, it just felt like it was there to be like okay, we gouge this guy's eye out and then the movie's over. You know, it didn't really feel like it answered anything for me. Well, I mean, Grady, you described Baskin to me as cutesy junk. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
Right. You know, I got to say before even beginning, I have a really, really hard time criticizing movies. I just, you know, I just, a movie I wrote called Mohawk, which is plugged, the only movie, you know, horror movie about the War of 1812 you ever need to see, <laughs> um, just premiered up at Fantasia, which is great. And like, you know, being involved in a really low budget movie, and, and I've worked on a couple of others, you know, no one sets out to disappoint the audience. Like no one sets out to make a bad movie. And everyone, especially on movies with budgets, like in the realm of the ones we're talking about, which are all around a million, roughly, like everyone busts their butts and everyone's really committed. It takes so long. And so I always feel like a jerk looking at the final product and being like, your baby's ugly. Your baby's stupid. <laughs> you know, your baby smells like garbage. Like, so I, I feel like a jerk. Um, on, on the other hand, you know, um, yeah, I mean, Baskin, you know, and I, and this is two things to me bind a lot of these movies together. One is, and it's why I think it is going to be such a huge success is because people are so desperate for there to be a horror movie made on a budget of more than like $5 million. Um, like every single one of these movies is super, super low budget. And, and so they ultimately, you know, it's a couple of actors, it's one location, maybe two. And I also feel like unfortunately, except in like one or two cases here, they all wind up either having a director who can't, um, stick the script and hold to it all the way through post-production. So things get wacky and the movie just goes off in weird directions or they don't, they start because the financing's in place and everything's in place and they don't have a script that they're really happy with at that point, you know? Um, because when you're making a movie for like a million dollars, you're not making enough off that to spend two years working on a script or three years. So, um, so Baskin's like an idea I should love, you know, Hey, cops go and they wander down a staircase and wind up in hell. I love that concept because it's so simple. You just keep walking and eventually you get to hell. And it's just so junky. I mean, it's like, I have a key that fits your head and then you're Satan, but you're not Satan. But what say, is this hell or is this just a weird cult? And then the end's just like the beginning because I don't know. Does it mean anything? Who knows? Like, it's a good way to end. Like, nah. Um, and the void's the same thing. Like I love the Astron six guys, which is a filmmaking collective, uh, out of Winnipeg. And two of the guys from that are the directors of this movie. They do these really low budget, but really great, um, very sincere sort of retro movies, uh, with beautifully handmade special effects. Um, and the effects in this are great. I think Seth has a point in some sense. This might, is a little bit like an effects reel, but you know, I also know some of the people who worked on the movie and like, you know, they feel like, you know, it got really overwhelming and like, you know, people were just trying to get their days. And so they wound up, you know, putting it together a bit in the editing room. And so you wind up with a movie that kind of feels like, you know, it starts great. And then you wind up with like bargain basement Hellraiser with more triangles at the end. <laughs> um, and, and an ending that's sort of lifted from a Fulci movie. And it's like, and I hate saying that because there's such great people who made the movie and so sincere and heartfelt and did so much with so little, but like, Ultimately, it's what's on the screen that matters. I'm sorry, that was like a monologue. We all have strong opinions about that. <laughs> <laughs> I actually heard that Baskin was originally a short film. I haven't seen the short film, but and they basically just took the short film and made it into a feature film without adding really enough stuff sure. to justify making it into a feature film. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, what's Baskin about? Like, can anyone tell me what it's actually like? Not just what happens and then what happens and then what, but what is it actually about? I have no clue. Sure, I'll, I'll speak up for Baskin. Oh, yeah, please. Um, 
To me, the whole movie, and actually my favorite shot in the movie, is uh, set up in the beginning where they're sitting around talking in, I guess, basically a deserted restaurant. And it cuts between the cops' conversation and these pieces of meat the cook is, like, turning over on the grill. And for me, the whole movie is basically about uh, what it would be like to actually uh, have your sins visited upon you and to be treated um, basically as these scraps of flesh in this horrible spiritual machine. And I almost always like, like you said, the first half of horror movies so much better than the second half, even good horror movies, just because I find the buildup so much more interesting. Um, so I'm willing to forgive Baskin for a less good ending. I, I don't hate the ending, but it certainly didn't deliver a kind of logical bow on everything that happens. It's a movie I'd love to rewatch just to look for uh resonance between like the weird personal interludes and the stories the cops tell, and then what happens to them in the sort mm-hmm. of hellscape. Okay, wait, Seth, what's the deal with the frogs and the giant hands reaching in to pull them out of the water? In Baskin? Yeah. I have no idea. Yeah. But I mean, I assume if Seth's, we're going to go with Seth's theory, those are like God's hands, you know, like their suffering is eternal. And by the I'm, way. Uh, no, go, go ahead. Oh, yeah. So uh, As Above, So Below was another horror movie with a much larger budget uh, that involves the characters descending into hell under the Parisian catacombs. So oh, right. if, if you like Baskin, you might like that one, too. Right. Let's see, Maya, do you want to add anything here? Uh, I think that Baskin would have been a great short story or short, uh, short film. I mean, yeah, it sounds like, like it was, well, maybe it is. I mean, we yeah, have to like, check out the short film. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't by any means, like I would recommend it to people. Like I, it was interesting to watch. I think like you guys all said, it just, it just sort of doesn't end up meaning anything, which just kind of bummed me out. Yeah. And then let me just say about the void is that I felt like the ending would have been a lot more interesting to me if the doctor character had not been so obviously evil, yeah, you know, because yeah, he's just, I mean, it was just like a, like a James Bond supervillain speech at the end. Whereas I think it would, it's kind of an interesting question. How attached are you to having a non grotesque body that like, what would you, how much, how much of your non grotesqueness would you be willing to sacrifice in order to extend your lifespan and how much is too much and how much, you know, is it, better to die or to be a giant octopus or something like that. And I think that you could make a really uh, convincing argument that, no, just give up your attachment to your human body. It's better to be an octopus and live forever and um, and actually give that guy some persuasive argument to make rather than just having him be just this cartoon villain, which I thought he, which I felt like he was. Yeah. My big disappointment with the void was that I was in there for the Lovecraftian angle. Uh, I loved all the random cuts to like, cosmic shots of nebula that's that's totally my weakness that's my jam and uh i was really hoping as we got to the end of the the conspiracy there would be a confrontation with like cosmic truth like in a lovecraft story rather than a confrontation with like zombies and monsters and i was bummed like you said that the villain didn't really seem to have any uh genuinely like hideous unthinkable revelation to deliver he was just kind of like, uh, spoilers, just skip ahead 30 seconds if, if you care. Uh, are we going spoiler free here? No, th- yeah, this is, this is spoilers. Let loose with spoilers. It's all cool. All right. All right. I was just disappointed that the doctor's argument was basically, well, I found a way to bring my dead daughter back as a demon cow. And 
that's the extent of his plan. And like 30 seconds later, some hick like shotguns his demon cow daughter or blows her up or something. And yeah, it's like, not the greatest plan. This plan for immortality <laughs> really sucks. Like, not good at all. Well, was it, was the demon supposed to go through the triangle or something? Like, was that part of it or was that, because I wasn't clear on how those things, what was supposed to happen. Like, would that have helped? My theory was that triangle led to wherever you go after you die. And that they were pulling people back through there. But that's all oh, I Oh, I see. That's a, that's a good point, though, because, Seth, that there are a lot of practical problems with, with both of these movies, to my mind. And, like, yeah, so, so if you turn into a demon cow, what's your next, what's the next step in your plan, right? Because isn't somebody just going to shotgun you or maybe put you in a zoo or something uh, right away? But also, like, in Baskin, I mean, I guess maybe they're in hell, so it doesn't matter. But I'm kind of thinking, like, how are they feeding? There's, like, 20 to 30 people living in this basement, or, like... Is someone going to the supermarket to pick up food for these people? Or I don't know. It's just like it didn't it didn't feel none of the stuff felt real in either either of these movies. And I do feel like a good horror movie needs some sort of sense of reality. Same thing in, in The Void with all the people just standing around the hospital not moving. Like, don't any of those people have to go to the bathroom or don't they get bored just standing there? Or I don't know. Maybe this is why I'm more of a science fiction guy than a horror well, guy. Well, I think but... that's, that's uh, you know, that comes with being in a cult, right? Like, ability to stand <laughs> for long periods of time. It's on the list. Uh, that stuff doesn't bother me at all. I, uh, I'm always willing to throw a horror movie a little bit of, like, basic, unnatural behavior. Yeah, I agree. And the guys in Baskin were probably getting food from that restaurant at the start. Like, it's probably what the guy does with all his meat. It's just a lot of it's just a lot of people. I'm is all I'm saying to to get they, food for. They probably feast on each other. It just doesn't seem sustainable. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I think I think it's probably like you know they could do it one of two ways. Either it's like someone they've got a chore wheel, you know, and someone goes to the <laughs> supermarket, or they do like the Heaven's Gate cult and they all go together, you know, to make sure. No, so it's like you know. 70 of them all stinky and covered in poop like go to the <laughs> go to the whole foods um and everyone hates it when they come in they're like oh it's those guys again <laughs> but i mean yeah but my thing with the, the gore is not you know i'm not like it does often just like gross me out um but it also is less just less interesting to me than other things that could happen so i just feel like it's to a, a big extent for me it's just kind of wasted time in the movie you know there's 10 minutes of somebody getting their eye gouged out or something that you could do something with more idea-based stuff in it. My issue with that in Baskin was once he carved the first guy's eyes out, he kept threatening to do it to other people. And I was like, I know he's not going to do it to anyone else because that would be boring for us to sit through again. So I felt like stuff like that really sort of minimized the the horror potential for me. Because I was like, I see where this is going. He's going to say he's going to do his eyes, but he's going to do something else. Like it, I just felt like it tried to ratchet up tension that just didn't work. Hmm. All right. So, yeah. So anyway, so I was a little bit uh, meh on, on those two. Um, so moving on to the then there were the two movies that I thought were like, they're all right, um, which for me were they look like people and under the shadow. Um, so. Uh, see, anyone? How about Grady? Tell us about. Tell well, us about I was going to say they look like people. I actually hadn't seen it and I watched it once I heard I was going to do this. And I loved it. I really do. It's, it's one of my two favorites from this lineup. Um, wow. I thought it was fantastic. Uh, basically, it's that horrible, horrible story about meeting up with someone you grew up with and, you know, 
they've turned into a paranoid schizophrenic who's off their meds and thinks the world's being taken over by demons who are disguised as people and you might be one, but maybe you're just the only person who's still a person. They're not quite sure yet, but they might wind up torturing you a lot to see if you're a demon or not. Um, and maybe your, your current like semi girlfriend as well. Um, and it's actually, I, you know, it's one of those micro budget movies. I mean, this is, I think well under a hundred thousand dollars, uh, and, you know, it's basically three actors. Um, and I thought they did so much with a little. And then just to, I'll do the plot summary for Under the Shadow, which is uh, set in Iran right after the revolution during the Iran-Iraq war. And it's kind of the exorcist, but kind of a repulsion by Polanski as well. Woman, husband gets drafted and has to go off to, to the front. He's a doctor. She wanted to be a doctor, but made some dumb choices back in the day and can no longer attend medical school. And basically, it's them in a building while uh, Iraqi rockets pound down on the city, freaking out with her daughter. And possibly there is a gene upstairs. But maybe it's, not. It's striking, Grady, when you describe they look like people, you make that sound like that's something that's happened to you. You know, I think it's kind of happened to everyone in a way. You know, you, you see someone you have, like I, I saw someone I hadn't seen since high school. God, he came to a reading about two years ago and I was just, he was like a completely radically different person. And it was really kind of shocking in a way. Like, I mean, I've been out of high school for like 300 years, but it was really, really like, it, it may as well not have been like, it, it's like they had a, a, a complete and total transplant and just kept the name. So maybe I just identify with the movie a little. He never tortured me at any point. We didn't get that intimate, but just saying it's a feeling I had. Yeah. How about Maya? What did you think of? They look like people. So I hated it. Uh, I think, I think it's a really well done movie. I think it's just not my kind of movie. Um, so it's the only one on this list. I actually bailed like halfway through cause I, it was making me so angry. Uh, and I, I think just, I liked the concept and I, I like read Wikipedia, what actually happens in it, but the, the excruciating like girl whispering throughout the whole movie was like, I, I couldn't deal with it. Um, and I just felt like I knew where it was going and I like, yeah, I just, it didn't really do it for me. Wait, girl whispering. The like, whole like in the, in the background of the movie, there's all like, you hear the girl uh, over the, you know, and she's like, it, she has it, this it, very it. like quiet, distinctive, annoying voice. And I like, it just felt like such a trope to be like, Oh girl, like creepily talking quietly. I don't know. I just, I just didn't like it. All right, Seth, time to exculpate yourself on this one. <laughs> oh, I love this one. I love this movie. Uh, one of my favorite parts of it, actually, so it's about the relationship between Christian and Wyatt, and Wyatt is uh, off his meds, and he can't get back on them because he thinks his doctor is one of them. And I love the effects they use to to show his perspective. The people who he sees as infected or replaced by alien imposters are horrifying looking. Uh, they just, like, have holes for eyes. And uh, Christian, his friend, uh, is having a tough time at work. And one of my favorite parts of the movie was how they depicted him and how pathetic he is. Because uh, he constantly listens to this motivational tape uh, about which uh, was that what made you so angry, Maya? That was part of it. There, like some of it was the motivational tape, but then they just started like putting in the girl's voice throughout the movie. Right. So it was like. He wasn't necessarily listening to it, but I yeah. guess maybe. Oh, he's thinking, the motivational he's thinking, tape was a girl whispering. Got it. Okay, got it, got it. No, no, but he's also remembering his ex-girlfriend yeah, in bed I think it's whispering both. to him at night. Gotcha. Mm, and gotcha. that's kind of voiceover for a lot of it. Yeah. So Christian's basically uh, lost all his mojo. 
and he's really down. And I love the part where he's he's been going basically through this self-improvement regimen where he, he does bodybuilding and uh, listens to this tape about how he's like a mountain and he'll conquer other people. And then halfway through the movie, he just gets fired from his job. And his coworkers leave a note on his computer that's like, <laughs> so you're a huge, a huge asshole. And I was like, you're, you're completely correct, coworkers. I hate this guy. Uh, but at the same time, I really empathize with him. And what I liked about uh, the ending was that it brought Wyatt, who sees aliens everywhere, and people call him up on the phone and tell him to prepare for the apocalypse. And Christian, who's basically gone insane in a different way, in that he's been listening to these voices that have promised him things, and they've let him down. And he's like, just for the for the sake of this friendship, he's like, okay, let me take a journey with you into this place where everyone else actually is crazy and against us. And because I kind of understand your perspective. I like that bit of character writing. That's really good, Seth. That hadn't occurred to me, but I really like that observation that the, the stories are parallel in that way. I actually kind of liked these characters. They felt very believable to me and very, you know, 20s or early 20s kind of this is how you act and this is kind of what your life is like and i i enjoyed hanging around with them i didn't i didn't hate them <laughs> the way i didn't hate um whatever the main character's name was the way that you seem to but my my issue with this movie is that i just thought the ending i mean i kind of like it feels like in every movie like this there's always something supernatural going on and so i kind of like that it's it turns out to be uh, a sort of rational explanation and all that but it does sort of underscore why so often these movies have something supernatural happen at the end is because it just kind of felt like a letdown to me at the end where he's like, oh, I'm glad he didn't pour acid on that guy's face. But, oh, that's, I guess it's over now. Um, all right. Yeah, that was all right. Um, so, yeah, I, I was kind of enjoying, I, I agree with you that the monsters were absolutely horrific. When he looks at the photograph he has of his ex-girlfriend and she looks like the monster was freaking horrifying. And then, when um is i forget if it's his therapist or something is gonna it, it, it's set up like he's gonna turn around and he's gonna look weird and then he doesn't but that was really really tense and effective i thought for me it was just the ending was kind of like it was okay but nothing it didn't have as much of an impact as maybe it could have yeah i just want to say one thing i loved about this was mara the the i guess the the only other member of the cast oh the therapist i guess but um because one thing I thought was so great in this is I see these guys all over New York, man. I've got nephews this age and like, they are so baffled by the world. They cannot figure it out. And like, they cannot understand a, a woman. They cannot have a relationship that's normal with a woman, either of them. And I, I get it. I see that all over the place. Like when she's just hanging out and just one of the bros, Everyone gets along, they're joking and laughing. But the second sex enters into it, the second dealing with a woman in the workplace enters into it where she's your boss, these guys like fall apart like wet paper bags. And I think that's so true to life. You know, and the fact that they sort of see her as this ultra competent person who has everything figured out, which obviously she doesn't. She's a normal person with, you know, the same bafflement everyone has. But, you know, she's all tough and all this. And I kind of feel like that's seeing her through their eyes. Like, I just thought that was so subtle and so well done. Um, because I think there's so many guys like this. Um, and, and I think I probably was at that age, like, who you just cannot figure out how to interact with someone who's not like you 
uh, and especially someone of a different gender. It's just hard. And you're not evil. You're not sexist. You're not a terrible person, but you don't know how to do it. And you make an ass out of yourself what did in you think serious of, ways. What did you think of the ending, Grady? I liked it, actually. I really did. I, 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 you know, I liked that it was underplayed. I actually didn't quite know if he was going to pour sulfuric acid on her or not. Um, and I was like, on the budget they had and probably all this limitations they had, I was like, you know what? They went for the emotional ending rather than a big philosophical save. Like, they went for something quiet and low-key and in character. And I'd rather, I guess I'd rather see someone get a solid single than, like, sometimes swing for the fences and, like, wind up pooping themselves. <laughs> uh, Seth, what'd you think of the ending? Sound like that's happened to you, Grady. <laughs> all the time. So I don't play baseball anymore. <laughs> I like the ending as as a character piece. Uh, I was really relieved he didn't burn his friend's face off. Um, it worked <laughs> fun for me. And I think part of the reason I liked it is, as with Baskin and uh, the boy, I'm kind of here for... <laughs> I'm here for the journey, not the destination. I'm willing to forgive the movie uh, a, a weak ending if it's got stuff in it I like. And I did like this ending. I thought it brought the characters to a good place. And just to pick up on something Grady said, when Mara, not to be confused with our, our colleague Maya, when Mara, the, the woman in the movie, um, kind of gets closer to both of them as a friend and a potential love interest, exactly like Grady says, uh, they really don't know how to, how to relate to her. And for the delusional character, um, whose name I've already forgotten. Wyatt. Wyatt, yeah. For Wyatt, the way he tries to connect to her is he gets a phone call from his psychosis that he imagines as from her with her giving him advice on how to fight the demons. And, uh, he actually like invites her down into his terrifying basement and is like, look at my arsenal. I've, I've <laughs> built these devices to help kill the demons. And, uh, exactly like you said, the only way he can connect with her is imagining that she is like a fellow demon killer. And she of course is just like, <laughs> you're fucking insane. Uh, which is a crisis in their relationship. Uh, which leads to one of my favorite shots in the movie when she's asking him what he sees and uh, then you get his perspective. But yeah, like the ending. I have a slight, this is maybe a small thing. I have a slight logical problem with that. From his perspective, he believes when she um, wants to get out of the basement, it's because she's been taken over by the aliens. But if she's, she's, but she's clearly capable of physically overpowering him because she's this martial arts expert. So if she was an alien, wouldn't she just kill him in the basement there when he's by himself? And, you know, what, like, I don't know. It seems like that's what an alien would do in that situation. Well, he is actually mentally ill. There actually aren't real demons or aliens in the movie. No, but I'm saying what's his explanation from within his psychosis for why she doesn't kill him in that moment? And why, if she's been taken over by an alien already, why she just leaves? Well, I think one of the traits of psychosis is that you can rationalize just about anything that happens, so it fits into your delusion. Hmm. So maybe we can give this one to his suspension of disbelief. Interesting. That's why, Dave, you think you're on a Skype call with, like, three other people, and you're just talking <laughs> to yourself at home. Yeah, I think I have a really popular podcast, but it's just, I just I've actually just been sitting in my closet by myself this whole time. Um, I just want to say, Seth, I totally agree that he should not have poured sulfuric acid on the guy's face at the end. I would have hated that. But I think my issue is that I'm always saying this when I'm teaching writing is that I think the ending of the story, a lot of times you need to find the third way. So like, you know, you think that it's presented as either he's going to pour sulfuric acid on the guy or he's not. And 
either one of those, like you don't know, and then you, then you don't know which he's, he's going to do, but you know it's one or the other. And the story has to go in a third direction that was set up, that was implicit in everything that came before, but isn't one of the two things you were expecting. And so I felt like that's why this was kind of a letdown for me, because it was just one of the two things that was predictable and there was nothing surprising about the ending. Fair enough. I mean, it reminds me of uh, Ten Cloverfield Lane, which we also did not watch, where uh, you get this locked room psychological thriller, and then they do give you the kind of unexpected ending where there actually are aliens and she has to go fight them. I don't know what third way they could have gone for in They Look Like People, though. Like, he pours acid on his own face? Or... <laughs> I don't know. I'll have to think about it. But I mean, this did like this didn't remind me so much of Ten Cloverfield Lane, but it reminded me a lot of um, Take Shelter. I don't know if you've seen that, which that ending did really have a big punch for me. It's a very, very similar kind of story. Mm, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so I mean, something like that, you know, uh, although maybe they didn't, <laughs> they didn't have the budget for the one shot it would make to, uh, you know, it would take to make that work. But can I just say something real quick? I think this is one of these things with small budget movies like this. To me, one of the things was also watching They Look Like People in the context of watching these eight movies and seeing it like, you know, in the context of something like The Void or Baskin or, you know, um, other ones. But like that it's I so appreciate they decided to just focus on these guys and have feelings and like emotions and, you know, really, really sell the friendship rather than, okay, okay, let's just take it for granted that the cop is brave. And, you know, let's just take it for granted. These people have a dead kid. So they're deep in trouble. Like I, I appreciate someone taking the time to actually give us characters rather than do this sort of shorthand uh, Hollywood thing. You know, their child is dead. You know, they're very sad. They're healing at different rates. Like, I, I find it such a relief. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. Uh, let's get Maya back in here. So, what, so Maya, what do you think of Under the Shadow? I liked it. I didn't love it. Uh, I think I agree with you. Um, I, I will say it's the only movie out of all of eight of these that I screamed not once but twice. Uh, <laughs> yeah, good I, jump scares, right? Really good. Well, and I told Dave when he gave me the list, I was like, I hate jump scares. And he was like, okay, good luck. Um, <laughs> but all the other ones I was fine with. But Under the Shadow, so for me, the two moments were uh, when the hand comes through the window. And yeah. then the, actually, I forget what the other one was. Oh, when I think she like, you can see the, the, the bad guy in the room and then it suddenly comes really close up. Yeah. Both of those, I, I was just horrified, but it was good. Um, so, so what did you, so why, why do you not, are you not rating it higher? I, I think I just found it a little boring and I think I'm definitely seeing a trend here where I think you guys are all writers. So I think you're appreciating things that I it's not like I don't see them, but like, that's not what I'm necessarily looking for in a movie. Um, so I just felt like it could have pushed it a little further. It like, there was a lot of exposition without a lot of payoff. And I felt like it got into this, um, rhythm of like, okay, during the daytime, it's going to be really quiet. Nothing's going to happen. And then it's going to be nighttime. and something scary is going to happen. Like it just felt a little too predictable by the end. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, no, I, I agree with that. I mean, I, I thought the setup was great. And I thought the last 20 or 30 minutes of the movie where scary stuff is actually happening were very, very effective. Yeah. But I felt that it really dragged in the middle for me. It felt like the same thing or the same kind of thing was happening over and over again. Yeah. And then I just didn't believe at a certain point that she would ever go back to this apartment. I was like, she would be, I would be terrified to go back to the apartment. I don't, I, I don't can't believe that she would want to go back there. Um, I mean, they kind of sort of tried to kind of justify it, but it didn't really work for me. Well, and then I the other I don't know if this is just like the feminine perspective, but I saw a lot of bad reviews of the movie that said the same thing that were like, this is just unbelievable because you wouldn't go back. And I felt like it was kind of a statement on like, 
you know, the power of mothers and how it's like, you know, she, she had to do this for her kid because she knew that, that her daughter wouldn't be okay if she didn't find the doll. So it was like, that was worth it, even though there was so much of a risk. That's interesting. It didn't, that didn't really come across to me, but maybe that, maybe that's true. But then the other thing I felt is that I thought that the, uh, the details about the time period were really, really interesting. The stuff mm-hmm. about how she couldn't go to, she couldn't go to medical school because of her political activities and, um, the the police will like lash you if you're outside without your um headscarf on and stuff like that and i felt like that stuff was really interesting but it felt to me not as connected as i wish it was to the horror i kind of felt like there were two different movies going on and i i think that the supernatural elements could have amplified the sort of the milieu more than they did um so i don't know seth what do you think about all that oh man i totally disagree I all thought right, bring the it. supernatural and political stories went together so well because it's all basically the story of this woman played by uh, Narjas Rashidi. I don't know how to pronounce her name. She's fantastic. Uh, and she just loses control of everything. Her entire country has gone insane. Uh, she can't drive anymore. She can't get her job back. She can't go back to school. She can't leave her house. Her husband is taken away. He's drafted, I think, to fight. Um, her neighbors are leaving. There are missiles falling all over her city. And then on top of all this, her child uh, is, I don't know exactly what the word is, not possessed, but is kind of targeted by this djinn who um, basically what the djinn does is cause the child to make demands of the mother that she can't possibly fulfill. Like, you know, find this missing thing. uh, And the djinn is like, if this, if your mother can't do these things for you, you should come with me. Like you belong to me. And I loved that. I loved how uh, the movie was so focused on how she tried to cope with having all this agency taken away from her and how uh, the gin was kind of a direct challenge to the, the very few things she still had control over her house, her like exercise tapes, her, which were forbidden, her illegal exercise tapes, uh, her child. I just love that. Thought it was a great villain. Was the gin? I didn't. The gin was going to take. What, what was the gin going to do? What was the gin's um, agenda? Or what did the gin want? Like, what was going to happen if she didn't do anything? So her kid is having nightmares, and objects start to go missing. And I believe the legend was: if you don't bring the objects back, um, something terrible happens. I think it was like it. The the gin owns you, or something. If it keeps a, a, a memento of yours. Yes, that sounds right. Yeah, I sort of thought that was all just talking around the gin was going to kill the kid. I mean, but it, but she's totally s- screwed at the end anyway, right? I mean, that's how I read the ending. Yeah. Oh wait, wait, who's screwed at the end? Everybody, because because the they they got out, but they left the doll's head and the book behind. Ah, uh, uh. yeah, the implications there. Well, and I think, Seth, to your point, it's like this is sort of a metaphor for the larger picture, right? It's like she she does stand up for herself. She wins that fight, but she can't actually escape it. Yeah. And at one point, she even gets a like hallucinatory phone call. I think from she thinks it's from her husband at first, but the voice starts berating her for being a terrible mother. Uh, and I think that's the gin like calling her and putting pressure on uh, her motherhood. I just thought she was so good in this movie. She carried she the whole good. thing. No, the actress was fantastic. I agree with that. Yeah, Grady? No, I was just going to say, yeah. I mean, I thought the movie was really well made. My problems with it were really, uh, I guess, political. Um, 
which was the fact that it, the uh, first off, I hate endings of movies, which is just people driving away, you know, sort of moodily. I'm like, oh, Jesus, like, what are they doing there? Like, that's like the beginning of The Shining. They're going to pull up to the Overlook Hotel or something. But um, if she had only done what people in charge told her to do, she wouldn't have had a single problem. If she hadn't protested during the revolution, she would still be in medical school and be a doctor. If she just went to see her, or stay with her in-laws when her husband told her to, she would be fine and there'd be no problem with the gin. Like that, and I'm not sure how aware the filmmakers were that this was sort of in there, but like if she, I, I had a real problem with it because it's this movie that's like, you know, this woman's cracking up because she's in this total totalitarian regime and, you know, bombs are falling. I thought the bomb stuff was done so great. I mean, to me, that was like almost the scariest stuff in the movie, but it's like everything that happens to her is her fault. And I'm not sure they were aware that that was what they were doing. And that really, that really stuck in my craw. Wait, no, 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 no. I don't think so. I don't think you can say that breaking a totalitarian regime's shitty rules and then being punished for it is her fault. That's what kind of happens is that all her problems here are created by her resisting. But that doesn't mean she's wrong to resist. No, but all her problems are like her husband says very rationally. You made fun of me for sticking to my studies and not getting involved with the revolution. And now I'm a doctor. You chose to do something different. Now you're not. And you know what? Yeah, he's right. Well, yeah, he's right that totalitarian regimes are shitty to people who protest against them. But Right, but but I'm saying, like, she can cross her fingers and wish all she wants, but this is where she lives. Like, her, every problem she has in the movie is of her own making. And I found that really hard to swallow. I don't think that's true. I think she makes choices that are right for her and the world punishes her for it. That's not... To stay, in a, to stay in a building that's getting bombed with her child, which is so completely irresponsible because she just doesn't want to hang out with her sisters-in-law. That's a terrible choice. And poor mothering. And poor parenting. <laughs> like, that, that's what I'm saying. I don't think the filmmakers were aware of it, but they created a movie where she is dumb. She is either dumb or severely mentally ill. And I think she's such a great actor. I really like the movie a lot. But they create like... Everyone begs her. Everyone's leaving. And she chooses to stay. Like, even before anything happens with the gin, she's being asked to leave to go somewhere safe before it gets too bad. And she chooses to put her daughter and herself at risk by staying. So let's get Maya in here. Maya, what do you think about what Grady's saying here? I I sort of see both sides. Um, I, I don't know. I agree. Like, I think that the reason that she didn't leave wasn't I don't think she was irresponsible. I think she was, well, she was irresponsible, but I don't, I think it was because she was trying to have control over something. And it was like, this was the final thing. Like the one thing she had left was her home and her like relationship with her daughter. And so I think that she was fighting to keep that. And, and maybe like being a little, I, I don't disagree that she was being a little dumb. Uh, but I think, I don't think that she had another choice, right? Like I think if she had gone ahead and gone to the, the in-laws house, that would be the end of her entire life. She would have nothing. She would be under someone else's control. And I just, I think that was the point. Yeah. So she keeps going back to those exercise tapes, I think because. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's all she has. Exactly. It's the last place she can be who she was before the revolution. She can still do, she can watch these stupid tapes and do her workout. And she's, if she leaves, she can't even do that anymore, which right. is not to say she's staying just for her exercise tapes, but it's kind of <laughs> symbolic. 
This yeah. this really is all she has left. Well, so the question becomes, is this a horror movie about ghosts and a djinn? Or is this someone's cracking up and mentally ill and everything's a projection like they look like people? Like, right. is she Wyatt? Because the choices she makes are so unhinged, I can only assume that the movie's hinting, if we're supposed to sort of respect those choices, that she's mentally ill. I think that would have been interesting, Grady, but I don't think that's where the movie went. I mean, because, I don't know, it just seems to me that this setup is really good and the movie, to my mind, doesn't do enough to to pay that off. I mean, I, I like I was saying, I mean, I feel like the when you have this totalitarian government in a story of supernatural evil, there just need, to my mind there needs to be more of a intertwining of those two facts. You know, either the totalitarian government needs to be a manifestation somehow of the supernatural evil, at least in her mind, or at least as far as the story is concerned, or maybe the the supernatural elements are in opposition to the um, totalitarian government or something. But I, I felt like, again, it just felt to me like two two different things that didn't intermesh. I did, in, I in did the, think the place where they came together so well, though, and maybe you're right, because I was sort of like, look, you couldn't see me, but I was like looking down my nose when you said that in the beginning, because I thought you were being a little harsh on the movie. But one place where those came together perfectly and I and I actually think it's one of the scenes in the movie that really sang for me is when she runs out of the building with her daughter in the middle of the night. And because she didn't put on a head cover, she gets arrested and, mm-hmm. and faces corporal punishment because you're like, yes, of course, that's what you're going to do when something like this. Happens. You're going to get the hell out of the building. Oh, Jesus Christ. I forgot she's in Iran. You know, it's like that moment works well, so well. Well, see, and that would make sense. Like if, if she's trapped in this building with this evil monster and she can't leave because of the political situation, see, something like that to me would, would make it more effective than, and that would explain why she doesn't just leave. Right. But so, you know, so, so, I don't know. The, I, I, I don't know. I've said what I had to say. Uh, Seth, <laughs> respond. Yeah. Uh, I think the gin manifesting as her husband's voice screaming at her for being a bad mother after he's been taken away from her by the draft, uh, because he's still a practicing doctor. For me, that brings the supernatural and political themes right together. Uh, and I don't think, and maybe I definitely differ with you on this, Dave. Uh, I often feel that themes in a movie don't need explicit textual connections in the script. They can just be there for you to see the, the rhymes between. And it still works for me. Um, I found the the combination of the djinn, which invades her home and goes after her child, and the state, which goes after everything else, pretty effective. All right, fair enough. We need to move on. I just want to say, um, in in terms of moments I did think were really effective, the freaking um, monster's feet disappearing up the crack in the ceiling, yeah. I thought was freaking creepy as hell. I thought that was really, really good. Well, can I just say really quickly, also, like, there is something weird about the fact that the djinn seems to arrive riding on an Iraqi missile, which I thought was so weird and kind of interesting. Yeah. Well, yeah, like I said, we need to move on. But yeah, there, there is, I guess, there's there's a lot of stuff to talk about in this movie. And I don't know, maybe uh, maybe some other time we can talk more about it. But now we need to move on to the uh, some of the movies that I have ranked excellent. These are movies I would... The movies we've talked about so far, I would not go out of my way to recommend them, but I wouldn't discourage you from watching them 
either, you know, check them out for sure if you if they seem interesting to you. But now the movies we're getting into are the movies that I would I would actively encourage people to watch. Um, so the first one here is we have Don't Blink, which is uh, about a bunch of friends, tourists kind of go to a secluded mountain resort and find that people are disappearing. And anytime they turn their back on somebody, that person may disappear. I thought this was really good. This was the um, just about the perfect level of scary for me. It was, you know, it held my interest. It was creepy, but it was it never like grossed me out or made me want to not turn, you know, cover up my eyes or anything like that. And it was sort of interesting in an intellectual way as well. I think that it definitely could have had more uh, logic to it. Yeah. Um, but overall, I was pretty satisfied with it. So wait, so so Maya, you uh, you agree with that? Yeah, I that was my big issue. It's called Don't Blink. And they never, it doesn't make sense because they're blinking all the time. Like (laughs) the whole time I was like, Ooh, this is going to be good. As soon as there's only two people left, we're going to find out as soon as you blink, someone disappears. That's not what happened. Well, this was not at all. This was not at all clear, but by the end of the movie, I thought I had figured out that you were safe. Not only if you were being watched, which is pretty clear, but also if you were watching somebody else. Right. So you only disappear if um, both people blink at the same time, right? Which is what happens at the end with the two people. Right. As, as long as they're blinking at different. How come only one of them disappeared then? It doesn't make any sense. I don't know. Maybe it can only like snatch one person at a time. <laughs> it just, I just felt like this was I was waiting for the reveal where it was like this is all about blinking because they even when they get to the cabin, it's like there's lipstick written on the mirrors that says don't blink. And I was yeah. like, that's going to be the clue that the people who were here before were like, you can't blink or you'll disappear. And it just it didn't go anywhere. But I love the movie. I will say that. Uh, Seth, what do you think about Don't Blink? I love this movie. It's probably my favorite horror movie of the last uh, couple of years, which has had a lot of really good horror movies. Um, I'm just such a sucker for this kind of conditional horror where the problem is not a monster or a person, but yeah. this uncanny phenomenon. And uh, I thought the movie had so many good, low-key, really terrifying scares, like the shot with the refrigerator door opening and closing. <laughs> so I good. knew it was going to happen, but oh my God. Uh, and just the idea that you'll turn around and your friend's not there anymore or you're not there anymore was awful. So my answer to uh, why didn't they both vanish at the end, is my theory is when you disappear, from your perspective, everyone else goes and oh. you're alone. Oh. That's just my thought. Oh, and, and I, that's what happened to the girl at the end. That's kind of what I felt, yeah. Ah, okay. That That actually helps a lot. But then the I thought the implication when she was looking in the rearview mirror at the end was that she was going to disappear, and then when the credits roll, is that is that not what you thought the implication was? That's definitely possible. I hadn't thought about it. Well, I had thought about it. I think you could also make a case for that. Yeah. I mean, I'll, let me just because I know Grady didn't like this movie. So before before Grady jumps in about why it's not good, I just want to say <laughs> I, I thought it did a really good job of introducing new twists on the idea, right? That I thought, I thought the part that was really, really strong in this movie was where the guy comes back having disappeared and the sort of hothead character is like, nope, nope, <laughs> I'm throwing him out the door. Like, I'm not even, I don't even want to know what, what horrible thing is going to happen if we uh, let him stay, you know? Yeah. It was very, very self-aware. And, and also, I mean, I'm going to say this about a lot of these movies, but the thing that I, I hate about horror movies is how dumb the characters always are. 
And I felt like in these movies were really good, pretty much all of them that I can think of, of not having the characters do just incredibly fucking stupid things that make no sense whatsoever. And I thought in this movie, the characters, they pretty much always did like, oh, that's that's what I would do in this situation. That's a clever, that's, you know, that's the, you know, the smart approach. They don't do anything really, really dumb. And then that makes it scary when even the, the relatively smart things they're doing don't save them. Um, okay, but Grady, so why, why did you give this movie a big meh? No, no, no. I didn't hate it or anything. To me, this was, um, it's a movie like The Circle to me, uh, or Circle, I guess. There's no article in front of it. But um, it was a neat concept. I thought it was well done. There was nothing wrong with it. As a 90210 fan, it was nice to see Brian Austin <laughs> Green again. Um, I've been wondering what Mina Savari's been up to since American <laughs> Beauty. Um, there was nothing wrong with it. But I also, like, I really like when a movie goes that extra level where you're like, ah, you know, like it it gets you somewhere. And this was a cool concept, but at the end I'm like, okay, you know, like, I mean, she's, you know, the end. All right. I guess people go to sleep and they'll all just disappear as long as they're here. I mean, you know, it, it just was a cool concept. Well done. Um, that didn't, didn't float my boat. Hmm. I, I wish it had gone somewhere. I didn't know what the point was. Oh, that is the point. So good. <laughs> well, I Wait, mean, what's the point? That we don't look at each other enough. That like, uh, the world... no. What? Okay. Well, if you want me to dial the movie down to like a specific philosophical point, I think. No, but I'm kind of curious. Yeah. If I had to pick one, it would be that um, the way that we only exist when we're aware of each other, and each individual kind of carries their own sensorium with them and you know intellectually that you know when i end this call you grady will go on existing but to me you just totally vanish from my awareness um and so putting them in a place where it's kind of reminded me of the area x books um where being someone else being conscious of you was necessary for your existence to continue literalize that idea that you don't exist until unless someone else is aware of you and uh, what I loved about the movie was that it did no more than that. It laid out the rules at the beginning, and then it showed the characters trying to cope with it, and they basically went nuts. Um, it didn't explain anything in a way I loved. Well, Seth, you were telling me that the reason that it snows and stuff in the movie is just because it snowed while they were filming it, and they had no choice to incorporate that into the story. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, what I read was that when they showed up to shoot, the lake was frozen, which the characters in the movie comment on. And uh, they were like, that's creepy. We'll incorporate it into the film. Because I felt like that, the, the, particularly the fact that it had snowed, like, you know, it was like the seasons were changing moment to moment and stuff, stuff like that. I felt like that kind of set up an expectation that there was some sort of like time travel or something go- going on, um, particularly with a guy coming back and having, you know, m- m- skipped over time, apparently, that never paid off at all. Did that bother? That didn't bother you at all? It doesn't bother me. Uh, when I read up on this movie, because I loved it so much, the director did say that there were clues in the film to the cause, but I'm not sure. I don't know what they are, and I don't know if they point to anything satisfying. Yeah, I mean, that was ultimately my, my only problem. Is it, was, it was a neat setup. It was a neat concept. It was well done, but I did, just didn't feel like it took me anywhere. Uh, Maya, any final thoughts on Don't Blink? I have two final thoughts. Uh, one is one thing that I loved about the movie was the, uh, the girl Claire, who's the last one left. She's the one who's painted at the beginning of the movie as like this weird nerd. That's kind of like not really part of the group. And I, you know, 
horror tropes are like the weirdos kind of like they go first. Um, like I thought she was like a disposable nerd because she just kept being like, oh, I got to work on my thesis. Like that was like her one hmm. line throughout the entire movie. Um, and I really loved that she was the one who got to make it to the end. Like I, I always love movies that have not just women being, you know, the final girl, but like someone actually smart getting to use their brains, which I felt like she did throughout the movie. So I really liked that. Um, and the other thing I wanted to say is I'm shocked that that you guys liked it as much as you did, because I thought I was weird for liking it because it, it has horrible reviews, by the way, we should say, like, I was expecting this to be the one that all of you guys were like, this is terrible. I couldn't sit through it. Um, but I, I thought it was good. I think it gets a bad rap because it has I mean, the script is terrible, like the the dialogue is very bad. Um, and it does sort of rely on these uh, B-listers who haven't been in movies in a while. Um, but again, I think that's sort of the point of this kind of horror movie is like, it's just fun. It, it doesn't really need to, it just entertains you for an hour and a half. It doesn't need to be like an amazing, amazingly written script. Well, and that is one thing I did like about this a lot is given the B-listers or even, you know, the, the actors involved and sort of the look of the film. And also, like you said, the fact that there was a lot of really banal dialogue in it, it did feel like a really off-brand, like made-for-cable movie from the <laughs> 90s, which I actually appreciated because right. the supernatural element was so unexpected. It's like if I caught this at like 11 <laughs> o'clock yeah. on USA or Lifetime, I would have yeah. liked it a lot more. Totally. Yeah, I often find mediocre scripts kind of work with horror movies because uh, there's this need to establish a baseline normal. And having people just kind of talking in uninteresting ways kind of works for me. Um, lulls me in. Also, I want to say, of all these movies, this is easily the one I found the most personally frightening. Just because I don't know how many of you have ever wrestled with any kind of like existential anxiety. But I remember yeah. as a kid, like going into the bathroom and thinking, what if I come out and there's no one there anywhere? Uh, it's such a simple, a horrifying premise. Yeah. No, I agree. I, I liked it a lot. Um, but so I also really liked Circle. Um, so I'll just say this is a movie about a bunch of uh, people and they all wake up standing around in a circle in a dark room and come to realize that they've been abducted by aliens. And are, one of them is killed every two minutes by being blasted with a bolt of electricity and they come to realize that they can secretly vote on who the next person to die is going to be. I thought this movie was terrific, but again, Grady didn't like it so much. So, Grady, why didn't you like Circle? You know, I got to say, I liked it a lot more than I thought it would. The first five minutes, I was like, oh, Jesus Christ. When I, I saw this, I was like, oh, God. And, and you know, I got to say, for a move, all the movie has to do to keep me watching is kill someone every two minutes. Like, you know, <laughs> something's always happening. Um and and I actually thought it got a lot more mileage. It had a lot more gas in the tank than I thought it was going to and actually kept me watching. But Jesus Christ, I am really sick of movies where the entire point of the movie is people are assholes. Like yeah. where literally there is no bigger point to the movie or not, nothing bigger there. There's no more there there than people are assholes. And that really, I, I just couldn't, that just kills me. So I had kind of a different take because I thought that when they, so basically the way the movie goes is like, First, they kill off the old people because that's easy. And then they start sort of like turning on people based on race. Like they start making groups based on what race they are. Um, and then they start going after like people's morality. Um, and so I initially thought that was the point too. And I felt like that kind of fell apart maybe two thirds of the way through the movie where like once you've, it's like that's the easy stuff to cling on to. But then once you've gotten through the obvious ones, you're left with this really interesting like challenge where it's like now how do you decide who goes so i felt like that stuff had to get out of the way because it's like of course that's where it's going to go people are going to like gang up on each other or whatever but i felt like it did have sort of a, 
a bigger, I couldn't tell you what the point is, but I felt like it had a bigger point than that. But the guy who survives is the biggest asshole of all, Who right? doesn't survive? He does. I He's so. like out on the street, right? No, the pregnant woman, doesn't she? No, 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 no. Are you serious? <laughs> I thought, wait, I thought wow. he, I thought he like tied like the, with the baby and then the baby overrode the vote. Is that not how it ends? No, no, he kills yeah. the he kills the pregnant woman and the kid, and then he survives and gets beamed back down to Los Angeles. Oh, but it's all pregnant women there. No, it's like well, it's like pregnant Mostly. women and kids, and then there's some yeah. adult men who we presume have done the same thing that he okay, did. Okay, got it. Sorry, survive. all right. I saw this a couple of months ago. I thought she survived. That sucks. <laughs> oh, and you know, I got to say, I didn't notice that the majority makeup of the background were kids and pregnant women. That actually, oh, okay, that actually makes me like That's the ending right? a little more. Yeah, yeah, okay. I might retract some of my comments. <laughs> Uh, Seth, what did you think of this movie? I liked it. I liked it more as a thought experiment. It it really did feel like a short story than as a horror movie. I think because so much of the arguing and the tactics that emerged were naturalistic, and I believed them. The way the characters interacted didn't always do it for me. Uh, I did like the horrible scheming man as a villain in that... Uh, I guess he kind of rhymes with our culture right now. He's kind of the Silicon Valley type who technocrats his way out. Um, and I liked seeing that presumably the other circles around the world had been more humane. Um, I think my favorite thing about it was that it was a movie with no protagonist, uh, which I've rarely seen. It, it shifted between characters so fluidly. I thought that was really cool. And it's a great premise. Yeah, I mean, to me, this is very much like Don't Blink in that it's a really interesting idea. It's really intelligently um, handled. It has interest. It has interesting twists on the idea that develop throughout the movie. Characterization and dialogue are not nothing special, to be sure. Um, but just yeah, as an intellectual exercise, um, I thought it was. I, I, I was, uh, you know, I was never bored. I I thought the ending was really cool. Uh, I liked it a lot. Well, I mean, I, I, I get what you're, I get what you're saying, Grady. That like the point is just like, oh, people suck, and I, I totally I hear what you're saying on that. I mean, for me and this one, it worked. I wouldn't want every movie to end like this, but I don't know. It's just well, one I movie retract a little bit because now that you're saying that, because I did notice in the background that it was mostly pregnant women and kids who survived. So I'm like, oh, so the point isn't that people are assholes. Just this particular circle were a bunch of you know, this guy was an asshole. So I, I'm retracting a little bit. I do think we could all agree that people in sweater vests are evil. <laughs> I, I think also, like, if you think about the ending, it does sort of paint it like this guy gets through this whole thing by being an asshole. And then at the end, he's going to have to answer to all these pregnant women who know that what he did. <laughs> That's true, too, actually. I hadn't thought about that. That's, That's really good. good. Yeah, they could have yeah. maybe even made that a little bit more, for, you know, foregrounded that a little bit more at the end. Yeah, I do think that would have been a stronger ending if they had all sort of turned and glared at him. Yeah. Yeah, the only character, too, I got to say, there were only two characters I thought were were stereotypes that were annoying to me. And that was the guy in the red suspenders, the silica. I don't know that the... the, the yeah, the uh, Wall Street guy. The Wall Street guy. Because I was just like, oh, geez. I mean, like, has he been teleported yeah, here sure. from 1986 and those suspenders? <laughs> um and then the the gangbanger guy who beat up his girlfriend. But I was actually impressed that apart from those two, no one else was sort of like a total stereotype, which was nice. I also really liked, and I don't know if this was like planned by the movie or if the point is that the aliens or whoever did this on purpose, but I loved 
not only were the people diverse, but all their relationships to each other were diverse. Like you had the married couple and then you had a couple that was pretending to be married. And then you had people who were coworkers. And like, I think there was a cop and a, and a guy he had arrested. Yeah. I really liked that you got to see not just the group dynamics, but like the individual relationship dynamics. And it's like, okay, I know either me or my husband is going to die. How are we collectively going to make the call about who goes first? Like, I, I just thought it was fascinating. Yeah. Did we sell this enough to the audience? It's like, you're in a room with a hundred people and you have to vote for 99 of them to die. Like, yeah, that's the movie. Well, and so there's a pregnant woman there and there's a little kid there. So it's like, yeah. even if you get through a lot of it, you're sort of like, okay, at the end of this, I'm going to have to choose between me and this very vulnerable person. Well, right. And I, I thought that was really, really clever how people start voting to kill them early on because they know it's going to come down to, yeah. you know, if, if they can eliminate them, then it increases the chances of someone who's not a kid or a pregnant woman to survive in the end. Well, I was just going to say on that note, like, so I'm a Big Brother fan. I love like reality shows like that. And I'm watching Big Brother right now. And I feel like there's a lot of parallels with this movie where when you're so basically anyone who draws attention to themselves gets killed, right? Like that's how it works on these shows too, where like if you're causing drama that week, you go out because you're easy to vote out. And so I thought it was interesting that like, you know, the the uh, circle immediately gets divided where half the people want to kill the kid and the pregnant woman and the other half don't. And the only reason that you know, they don't get killed is because there's the majority. And then the majority immediately goes after the evil people, right? Like it, it sort of like highlights um, the, the group think and how people uh, target each other. Yeah. I was also going to say, you know, it's interesting that you say reality show because I love reality TV. I, I feel like I don't watch enough of it. And, um, and there is something about the dynamic, right? Where it's like, you look at how people act in these sort of artificial situations, and then you go thumbs up, thumbs down, and you pick people you like and people you hate yeah. and all this stuff that really this movie plays with a lot that actually, you know, fuels this movie, not even plays with this movie is a reality show, basically. Yeah. And I'll just say too, at the end where um, the little girl volunteers to sacrifice herself, and then the guy's like, okay, we'll go together. I mean, I was legitimately like choked up at that part. I was like, oh my God, he's, they're, they're going to sacrifice themselves. And then, you know, then it was just, it's just like jams the knife in when that doesn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> but it did like have a genuine emotional impact on me, you know, this, this, this story. Can I ask one quick question though? So, cause I did see the pregnant women down on the street, right? Who'd obviously survived their circle. But when the pregnant woman gets killed, the light shines on her stomach, which seems to indicate that she's considered two people, her and the, yeah. the fetus. So are those women down on the street all women who have like dead babies inside of them? I no. don't think so. I think it's just that the because the baby didn't die with the mom. So like if you think about it, if the mom got killed, the baby would have gotten killed too. Eventually, I guess if it right, like it would die. But they made it a standoff, right? I mean, it was the light between the dude and the baby and the little girl. Because it was still alive then. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, okay. I do wonder, though, what would have happened. Because it's sort of the way they leave it is like the guy ties with the baby. And if there's a tie, no one dies. And so he was able to survive by, you know, choosing the baby. Like what would have happened if he had killed himself at that point? <laughs> that'd be a very, that, like, that's the <laughs> one like spaceship. They'd be like, um, I kind of yeah. screwed up my experiment. <laughs> yeah. I just got this like unviable fetus left. <laughs> Yeah. Um, all right, so we need to move on to our next movie here. Also, really freaking good, The Invitation. Yay! Uh, a group of friends get invited over for a dinner party with a woman they haven't seen in years and find that she has uh, made some new friends who have come over who are involved in a weird cult. 
Uh, Seth, what'd you think of the invitation? I liked it. Uh, it belongs to one of my favorite subgenres of horror thrillers, which is the extremely awkward dinner party. <laughs> um, and a lot of these movies are pretty bad because what makes it click is the the chemistry between the characters at the at the table. And I don't just mean like romantic chemistry, like their unhealed wounds and stuff like that. Um, I just I pretty much loved it. I loved waiting for something bad to happen. I think I knew from the beginning what the invitation was about. Uh, it just seemed pretty obvious, but it was still great. And the ending was perfect. The, uh, the very, very ending stick. Yeah. Yeah. Where he looks yeah. out at the Hills. Well, there was actually a, there was a part of this where I started to wonder if it was going to be a, they look like people thing where it was a completely innocent dinner party. And yeah. he was going to be like the paranoid, crazy one who was going to go kill everyone. Cause he thought they were a cult or something. Um, so there was a little bit of suspense for me in that. I mean, you know, it, it became clear well before the end that that wasn't the case. But I thought it was just really like I was never bored at all in this movie. So there was so many like when the, the woman asked to leave and then he's trying to keep an eye on her as she's walking out to her car and stuff. There were just so many things like that where it was just it just maintains it's just such an unbelievable level of tension throughout the entire running time of the movie. I also like that it pulled such a huge fake out because you watch this whole movie. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. And, and you're so caught up in, oh, my God, this is a movie about death and grieving and losing a kid. And I find losing a kid such obnoxious shorthand in a lot of movies. But this really, like, you know, it worked for me. And I was like, ah, oh, this is so – and then, like, you actually discover it's an end-of-the-world apocalypse movie, like, in the last two minutes. And you're like, oh, shit, I didn't see that coming. Well, I th oh, I thought you were going to say, Grady, the amazing fake out when the Asian boyfriend shows up. and he's Oh, totally well, that fine. too. I mean, I thought all that stuff was great. But I'm just like, just in terms of genre, you're just like, I'm watching this going, okay, okay, they're going to deal with grief. And then I'm like, no, it's about the end of the world. You know, and that totally blindsided me. And I just want to say John Carroll Lynch, the guy who played Pruitt, Jesus, he's creepy. <laughs> Um, yeah, so, so, so unlike our last two movies, which were good, but had sort of questionable dialogue and acting, the dialogue and acting in this are totally first rate, I thought. Uh, Maya, thoughts on The Invitation? I, it's one of my all-time favorite movies. I, I don't remember the details because I watched it, I don't know, maybe last year or something. I watched it a while ago. Um, but I just remember, uh, I agree with Seth, like this is just my exact kind of horror movie. Like it's creepy, but it's not horrifying. There's like constant action. Um, I love anything where people get picked off throughout the movie. So I think that's why I also like Don't Blink. Um, I just thought that the everything about it was so good. And I agree. The ending was such a good payoff where like, you think you just got through this thing and it's over and they're safe. And then you see that it's totally flipped upside down. I, I just loved it. Um, so yeah, I don't know. This movie's I, totally awesome. Yeah. I just wanted to word. throw in that John Carroll Lynch, um, the guy you called out as creepy Grady. I think he's, if I remember correctly, he played not the Zodiac killer, but the man the who suspect. Most likely to be the Zodiac killer yeah. in Zodiac. No, totally. And also, this a movie apparently was supposed to have an all-star cast originally, like um, Luke Wilson and Topher Grace. I mean, they're not all, but, you know, big name <laughs> Matt Quinto, like all these sort of name actors. And I actually love the cast in this. I thought they were all so completely good and unexpectedly good. When the boyfriend shows up, Dave, like you're talking about, and you're just like, God, I know that guy. You know, it's like... The, the guy who can never get anywhere on time, but he's sort of sweet and harmless. Like, I don't know. I thought this movie was just like really firing on every cylinder. The shot. Great. I want to live in that house. 
Um, yeah. The the only thing in the movie that I could even pick a small nit with is I thought like uh, the main actress's dress was a little like like if I showed up at a dinner party and the hostess was wearing that I'd be like oh is this like a costume party <laughs> am I underdressed but really I just love this movie. Well, and I guess one thing that this this movie sort of explores the horror of is this is just the horror of the power of not wanting to upset people. You know, that even if you're yes. in this situation where alarm bells are ringing and everything seems wrong and you want to get out of there, there's just such this overwhelming power to not make waves, to just like, you know, not upset people, not make a big deal out of everything, just like go along and didn't leave later, you know. And I think that's what's so one of the things that's so effective about this movie is it makes you think in this situation, would I have the um, sort of the the self-possession to 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 leave or would I just stay through this dinner because of the just inertia of social pressure? Well, hopefully yeah, totally. you'd stay because if you left, you'd get murdered. Um, that was ambiguous, though. It wasn't clear she was killed. I'm pretty sure she I mean, don't you think we're supposed to assume she was? I don't know, man. That could really blow their cover. No, I, th- I think no, because because he come. I don't know the, the 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 creepy guy you're talking about comes in. He's like, I tried to convince her to stay, but I couldn't get her to stay. I mean, he got it. He must have killed her then, because I think that they can't all go to the UFO or whatever it is if, if they haven't killed every, all their guests. I mean, that's that's. The well, way just spoil. I mean, spoiler. I, I listened to an interview with uh, Corinne Kasaba and uh, the screenwriters, and they said there was a shot of her in the trunk of her car that they cut from the movie because they realized that no one cared what happened with her. They all assumed it was something bad. So, like, oh, okay. even th- even though it's not on screen, so actually, Seth, your point's actually a good one. If it's not on screen, we don't know. But I think their intention was for her to be dead. Did anyone? Oh. Sorry, can I just ask? Did anyone? think like Dave did because I was really convinced like sincerely convinced that this was going to be a they look like people situation at a certain point that he was wrong and that there was nothing wrong towards the end were other people convinced that yeah oh yeah I think that's the whole point right because you're sort of like it's one of those those movies where you're only seeing it from his perspective so you're like okay he's paranoid he has issues with his ex-girlfriend whatever it is like I I also was surprised and pleased when it turned out to be real yes what about you were you convinced the hosts were so creepy. I assumed <laughs> something horrible was going to happen from the beginning. Uh, it was a nice house, though. So maybe that was part of why I found them creepy. You know? <laughs> Class was, indie. Actually, I'll, I'll, I'll say, let me say, I was one thing that I was a little confused about it initially was that he, when he walks into the house, he kind of looks to the side and sees a kid playing in the playroom or whatever. And I did not get immediately that that was a memory. Mm. So, like, it took me a little while to to be like, oh, wait, that's he's having these flashes of memory as he's moving through the house. And can I also just say, though, like, on that note, one thing I really liked about this, no one, like, I mean, granted, okay, there's the, the cult people and all this. Everyone's, and it's, I find it so rare in a horror movie with a group, everyone liked each other. Like, everyone was genuinely nice and concerned for each other and tried to save each other. Like, I'm so sick of horror movies where the second, like, anything goes wrong, everyone turns on each other like a bunch of rabid weasels. I, I really enjoyed the fact that these people were depicted as friends who actually would take risks and try to save each other's lives. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Yeah, it really it drives me crazy in like um, Night of the Living Dead or something. In those movies, there's always one just gigantic asshole in the group, and they spend the whole movie arguing with him, and it's just not 
Interesting. Well, which was kind of a great thing about Circle, right? Because whenever one of those people reared their heads, you're like, is he going to go in this two minutes? And this two? Ah, there he goes. Done. (laughs) So sorry, Seth, were you going to say something? Yeah, I think it's a testament to the quality of the movie that I've never until right now thought about how, because the implication at the end is that these parties are happening all over. Um, Although maybe it's just confined to the sort of rich affluent area, which this definitely looked like, but still thinking about it, the most unbelievable part of the movie is that anyone can keep the secret for that long in, in this age, like, Oh, that no one was like checking their phones and being like guys. Yeah. And that nobody, even before, presumably there was some buildup as the, the cult or whatever recruited people and talked them into doing this. And the idea that nobody leaked, mm. but I mean, it doesn't matter at all. It, I'd never thought about it until right now. Um, it's a very good film. Yeah. All right, cool. So let's move on to the last movie on our list, Hush, which is a uh, home invasion movie where there's a woman who is deaf and mute as a result of um, uh, an infection that she got when she was a teenager and a psycho guy who likes hunting people with a crossbow. Um, It has her trapped in her house with no power and no, uh, no way to call out and uh, is uh, is just taking pleasure in terrifying her and then killing her. So, uh, so Maya, what did you think about Hush? I love this movie. I This is another one I watched a little while ago, so I don't remember all the details, but do we we never find out who the bad guy is, right? He's just a guy. No, nothing about yeah, him. We never find out his yeah, backstory. So that's anything. what I remember liking about this movie, is that it, so it starts with the, like, you know, you think she's going to be a victim because she's mute and deaf and she's alone, and it so quickly turns into like, I, I think even before halfway through the movie, she really takes control. And I like that it ends up being a story about her instead of usually in horror movies. It's like, it's all about the big reveal of who the bad guy is and what his motivations are. And I loved that. It's like, this is just sort of a footnote in her life. You know, it's like this guy tried to get in, she beat him, he's dead. You know, it's, it's all good. But I, I thought the, all of the interactions with him, like there's this whole sort of theme where her deafness actually helps. Like she's, she's really good at like, um, I think there's a part where he like breathes on her or something, or like she notices something yeah. like water dripping because she sees it or small things. And she like feels, that. Her, she feels his breath on the back of her neck. Yeah. So I, I just, I thought that was a great sort of reversal of, of the roles. Uh, Seth, what'd you think about Hush? I love this movie. Uh, again, I have such a weakness for these kind of stripped down concepts that execute exactly what they're going for. And uh, I think my, I love the whole movie, but as I'll often, the favorite part was the buildup. My favorite part was the buildup. Uh, one thing I particularly loved was the kind of character building vignette before any of the horror starts, uh, where she's just talking to her friend. I yeah. almost wish that could have gone on longer, not because it would have been better for the movie, but I just really liked them interacting. Yeah. Uh, and once the movie got going, um, the the film almost makes you kind of complicit in the stalker's perspective because you feel the buildup as he does. Like the fact that he's trying to psych her out and creep her out, uh, just help builds up your, um, builds up the tension. And it really got to me when he was like texting her pictures of herself from behind, uh, stuff like that. And I think actually the guy who played the killer is married to the lead actress in real life. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah. They had, I guess they were, they were comfortable (laughs) with 
trying to murder each other or yeah, something. That's awesome. Yeah. Let me just say, Seth, about the, the that the early sections. One thing I really liked about it too is that all the technology she uses is actual technology. Because I feel like in movies so often they have like like weird like technology that doesn't actually exist and just it just has like weird not convincing. And she's using she's like using Skype and FaceTime or whatever, and it just all looks it just feels real. It feels like real life, you know. Uh, Grady, what'd you think of Hush? Well. So I have a question that's going to sort of determine things uh, a little bit. Well, first off, Jesus Christ, I want to get my windows from the same people she gets them from. Like, the <laughs> glass in her house was unbreakable. Um, but I also want to, so are we supposed to believe at the end, because she's sort of vocalizing some at the end, that she's talking again or about to talk again or not? I, I didn't get that at all. Okay, because she makes noises for the first time in the movie at the very end when the police show up. So I didn't know if we were supposed to take from that, that like the trauma is helping her speak again. Uh, so I, I, if no. that, I don't know. I, okay. I didn't notice that at all. Yeah. There was nothing wrong with this movie. I enjoyed watching it. It was, it was fine. It was, I enjoyed seeing it. I thought it did really some smart things. I have a real problem again, sort of politically with the, with movies that sort of posit like the role to empowerment is to really be brutalized by some intruder. Like I just find that so really difficult. Um, I have a hard time with the final girl concept. Um, I find that more so than even a movie like Hostel or Saw or movies that are sort of thought of as torture porn, that a movie about a woman who has to discover how strong she is by being almost murdered by some dude is to me like really just sadistic to watch. So this was a totally legit, totally good version of those movies. I just dislike movies like that really intensely. Hmm. I don't know if I agree that in this case, she only realized how strong she was in this situation. I sort of felt like they set the tone at the beginning that she was really independent and self-sufficient. And that's why she was able to survive this. That was kind of my take. Yeah, no, no, no. And I don't think that I don't think you're wrong. I mean, they definitely make her as someone who's independent and self-sufficient. But like she has all these moments when she's going to give up and she like convinces herself to keep going and keep fighting and all this. And like, I like a resourceful person as much as the next in a horror movie. I really do. Like, I, en I enjoyed watching this movie. I find, you know, to me, these movies are always like, so, so then what? Then she's just a traumatized wreck for the right. rest of her life. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like at the end, like when people talk about final girls, I'm like, God, that's sad. It's like a person who, so the, they basically watched all their friends murdered when they're 17 years old and live in the shadow of that for the rest of their lives. Like this movie, it's like, I bet she's not going to live in that house anymore. You know, like it's that always bums me out because I'm always sort of thinking like what happens next? And it's never anything really good. Like, you know, she's never going to have a peak experience like this again. Like she's going to have to get into like extreme free climbing or something yeah. to ever get this kind of adrenaline rush. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I'd agree with the psychology of that. I mean, one thing, uh, I haven't checked up on my psychology literature recently to see if this finding holds up, but people who have near death experiences in the clinical sense of like, you were very near death and you yeah. had hallucinations and stuff often come out with a lot more life satisfaction, which is not me saying that nearly being murdered is going to make you happier or <laughs> that horrible PTSD is going to improve your life. But I think movies like this, uh, the catharsis for the character and the audience is in survival and in overcoming this unstoppable 
seemingly unstoppable uh, opponent, whether, you know, it's a supernatural villain or the alien or uh, this guy who shows up at your house to kill you for fun. Yeah. And part of, like, the predicate of, of horror movies, the reason they're made is that they put characters in extreme horrific situations and see how they react. Uh, I don't think horror movies would be interesting if we didn't get that human reaction. Um, they'd just be like music videos. That makes me think that, I mean, I feel like in, in most of these movies that there's something wrong with the character at the beginning that gets fixed by the end of the movie. You know, like their relationship is, you know, like like you would expect, like, you know, like she's fighting with her you know, sister or boyfriend or daughter or whatever. And then by the end, they come together or something. And I thought it was interesting that there's nothing like that in this, that she's totally fine at the beginning. She's like you were saying, a, a self-sufficient person and she's awesome, totally awesome. And then she's, and, and that, that allows her to survive. And there's nothing about her that needs to be fixed um, over the course of the movie. Yeah. And I think they make, I mean, and, and, and you're right. I mean, they do go to great pains to show, you know, she's got this book she's stuck on and she's not giving up like they, and she lives on her own basically. And she tries and like, they go out of their way to make us know that she is a very self-sufficient, strong-willed person. And, and she remains so throughout, except for a little wavering. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, look, I, I totally agree with Seth. Like you have to have people go through these experiences in a horror movie to sort of like have something worth watching. I guess I see a lot of horror movies, like horror's my thing, like like I see a lot. And I just I just this is this is a, a trope or a style that I've just I've come to the end of the road with, kinda personally. It's not a it's not a nag on anyone who enjoys it or anything, but it's just like I, I guess to me I'm so much more curious about what next. Like what happens next. Like you know, it's like The Exorcist. Like, I'm so much more... It's a great movie, but I'm so much more interested in, like, what Barbara Hershey and, like, Linda Blair are talking about at breakfast. So when you stuck my face in your bloody crotch and, <laughs> you know, how do we get by that? Like, let's find a good therapist. Like, you know, it's just, like, I'm so fascinated in how people pick up and move on from this stuff. Um, it's just me. It really is just me. So maybe what you'd like to see is a sequel to Hush. It's like a movie where Maddie is recruited by an evil corporation to accompany a group of Marines into like a serial killer convention. <laughs> well, it could be called like Hush Two, Hushier. Yeah, or Hushes. Hushes. Hush, oh, Hushes is Hushes, uh, and they could add an H until they get to like you know Hush Nine with like Hush. <laughs> Um, well, you know, one of the things though, Seth, when you were just saying the sort of pop psychology thing about near death experiences, which I, you know, I agree, like that's one of those things you do hear about, but then you also get people who get in these peak survival situations like war correspondents or people who fight overseas and stuff or, or police officers who find themselves seeking out dangerous situations or feeling uncomfortable with sort of normal, the rhythms of normal life when they come back and having a hard time adjusting. So, like, it can kind of go either way, right? Like, she appreciates life more, and she's going to go finish her book, or she's, like, you know, going to go buy a crossbow. Well, let me just say a couple of things I really liked about this movie, too. This that, speaking of the ending, I thought it was really, really good, the way that you see her get killed. And then you see, oh, wait, that's just her gaming out the different scenarios. I thought that was so compelling, that part yeah. where she's, I can't stay in the bathtub, I'll bleed out, all this kind of stuff. 
And then where the um, Steve, I think was his name, was Anders from Battlestar Galactica shows up. Mm -hmm. I thought that that whole, like the whole movie was riveting, but I thought that sequence in particular, I was just on the edge of my seat for that. Also, did did anyone else, I was a little bummed he took off his mask so early because I thought that mask was pretty good. Yeah. I agree. I don't know. I th- well, well, I don't know. I, I thought the thing like you've seen my face now. Oh right, no, I thought that worked really well. I just, I thought they found. You know, it's hard to find a good look for a, a killer in movies like this. So I thought like crossbow and eh, mask was pretty good though. Um, and then just this is maybe a, a crazy idea, but this is just something that occurred to me is because because the situation because she can't signal to anyone else that she's in trouble because she has no phone and no. Um, you know, internet or whatever. So you can, you guys can tell me what you think of this idea, but what do you think about the idea of setting your house on fire so that your neighbors see that your house is on fire and call the fire department? I think her only neighbors were dead. Yeah, that was the problem. She didn't have any other, because I thought that when the car alarm was going off, the guy had to smash up the car because he was afraid someone would hear the car alarm going off. No, that's true, actually. I, I don't know. I feel like fires never quite go the way you think they're going to. <laughs> like, I feel like if I did that in my apartment, because, like, I was being menaced in my one-bedroom apartment that's, like, 500 square feet uh, by a killer, I'd just wind up burning myself to death. Right. I think that was the problem. Like, she was sort of using the house to her advantage. And I think if she had set it on fire, she would just be out in the open with this guy, and I don't think she would have had a chance. And word to the wise, if you were stalking people on a murder rampage, don't toy with them. Like, it's a bad idea. Well, but I thought that was the... I mean, that's the whole point, though, for this guy, right? I mean... You know, oh, yeah. No, like, totally. Like, if he just people. wanted to kill her, he could have just, you know, brought yeah. a gun or whatever, right? Never goes right. Um, I don't know. Maya, any other... Any final thoughts about Hush? Uh, no. I do have one final overall thought, which is I still don't understand where these eight movies came from because they all seem so different. <laughs> okay well maybe maybe i should have set that up better but yeah so basically seth mentioned we were just hanging out with each other a couple weeks ago and he just started talking about all these horror movies and i thought wow those all sound really cool yeah. i'd like to watch them and the only way that i can watch stuff the only way i have time to watch stuff is if i do a episode yeah. about it so i just thought yeah we can do uh uh, you know, a panel because we did a recent horror movies panel a couple of years ago, and that was that one got out of control. I think I watched something like eighteen movies in a, eighteen Jesus. horror movies in a week, wow. and uh, I was like, I'm not doing that again. So we're going to keep this limit this to eight or so, um, and that's what the the list list Seth sent me was. Yeah. I know Seth. Is there anything more to say about why uh, why you picked these movies or how you got on this horror watching binge or anything like that? Yes, there is, uh, which is. You'll note the common factor in almost all these movies is they were on Netflix Instant. Yes. <laughs> um, which is how I get my random horror that I, I click on and sometimes find gems. Sometimes terrible ones. Uh, a lot of times terrible ones, but sometimes some really good ones. I did want to mention that because of the selection method, this is not a comprehensive survey of all recent good horror. Like uh, The Witch wasn't on here. Uh, uh, what was the... Uh, get Out. Get Out, obviously, it's not on here. Um, don't breathe. I heard that was terrible. No, it's good. really. Oh, I loved it. Yeah. Huh. You're next. I really love your next. That mm-hmm. is, uh, you guys, I'm sure probably seen it, but the premise of that one is, uh, a family gathers at a distant home to sort out some inheritance issues. And of course, masked killers invade the home to kill them all. But one of them, the, uh, 
you know, designated final girl was raised by Australian survivalists and she starts murdering the murderers really brutally and kind of becomes the monster of the movie. Not in that she's ethically in the wrong, but in that the camera uh, starts to fear her the way the camera usually fears the killer in a movie. I really like that one. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think also one of the things I think sort of the variety of all these points out is, I mean, horror is really having kind of a little golden age right now. Um, I feel like equipment's cheap. You know, you can, you've got all these people who've seen the success of stuff like uh, Paranormal Activity and all those Blumhouse movies, and they've seen there's a model that can work. If you keep the budget low, you can take risks. There's also a ton of low-budget sci-fi movies that have been coming out that I thought have been really, really good recently, like Who I Love and or The One I Love and all that. Um, but it's really interesting because I feel like in the 70s, kind of horror was still having a little hangover from the pulpy 60s, even though there was great stuff coming out. And then the 80s horrors kind of got to be for kids, and that lasted through the 90s. And you had these movies that were sort of overtly campy and trying to be campy, like ghoulies and spookies and all that stuff. And I feel like people are making, a lot of people are taking risks to make really intense horror movies for grown-ups, um, as long as they can keep the budget low. And I, I really, you know, none of these movies were garbage. Like, nothing was a hot dumpster fire. Um, and I think that's kind of amazing that eight movies that are sort of selected, almost at random, I hate to say, um, wind up all having at least something to recommend them. So, Seth, when you watched Don't Blink, was that on Netflix, or how did you come across that one? It was at the time, I, yeah. I'm pretty sure. It was on there for a long time. I guess it rotated out. Yeah. Um, so great. You have your paperbacks from hell book, right? Is there anything more to say about, why don't you just say a little bit more about that? That's coming out in a couple of weeks, right? Yeah, that's coming out, uh, September 19th. That's, um, I, I, it's a basically about the horror, the boom in horror paperbacks in the seventies and eighties. You know, I think everyone remembers like who grew up around that, even the early nineties, those like really garish lurid covers with the foil embossing and the die cuts where you like, you look at it and it's like a, a little girl looking out a window and you open it and she's got the body of a demon or something. Um, and, uh, they, they were just everywhere from about, um, Rosemary's baby in 67 on through, um, kind of like around the time silence of the lambs won the Academy Award in 91 when they, the genre kind of died and it was this huge boom in horror um, and it's sort of like that's when modern horror that we're still in to some extent was all created, uh, a lot of the genres and tropes. And that's why I find this stuff so interesting is you're starting to see, you're starting to see horror change again. Uh, it's not just recycling the seventies and eighties. Like it's adding a lot more, even though there was sci-fi horror back then, it's adding a lot more science fiction concepts and a lot more of these sort of like, mind game philosophical puzzle things that I feel like kind of started around the time of like cube back in the nineties and are, are coming full circle with, with circle. Um, so it's, so yeah, so the book's about that, that boom sort of starting strong and then dying like a dog in the gutter in the early nineties. Um, and so that's why I find this resurgence so exciting. I'm not sure the resurgence is there with books right now. I'm I, books are still a little thin on the ground with really original, interesting horror, but uh, movies definitely, I think, are having a boom. See, Grady, you also you I didn't have time to watch it, but you recommended Southbound as well. Southbound. Well, I thought we were doing this like sort of like you know it fits in really nicely with these. It's 
it's an anthology movie, so it's three parts, kind of four, um, like three in a little vestigial limb. But each one um, feeds into itself, and they all kind of take place along this road. Um, and each one has sort of recurring characters and things. It's an, it's an interesting way to do sort of an um, anthology movie. Rather than like having the crypt keeper be like, and next up a tale that will shock you. <laughs> um, and then Maya, I should have probably asked you this earlier, but do you have any um, any other movies that uh, people should check out? These sort of indie, recent indie horror movies. Yeah, I was going to say um, there's a few that I was thinking about while we were talking that I that I really loved over the past couple of years that no one has mentioned. So one is Triangle. Have you guys seen that? Oh, the um, that's the one on the boat, right? Yes. That's it's, fantastic. It's so good. And no one has ever heard of it. And it's like, I, I talk about it all the time, but it, so they're on this mysterious cruise ship, uh, and there is a stranger running around killing people. Um, and it's one of those movies where like nothing is as it appears. Um, so I, I just love that one. Um, another one with, which is super trashy, uh, but I loved is wrong turn Two, um, which is, <laughs> it, it's one of, have you seen it? I, I have it. I've seen one and I've heard the sequels are actually better. Yeah, so Wrong Turn 2, it's one of those random Netflix horror movies that I came across, but I just loved it. Um, I, Dave, I don't think you would like it because it sort of gets into like cannibals and some gory stuff, but it's, it's just such a good, so the, the concept is it's this reality show filming, um, and the people there end up, you know, lost in the woods and they get found by cannibals and it's this really, uh, uh, gory thing, but it's just, it's, it has so much, it has, uh, I think it has Henry Rollins in it. Um, and it's really funny. So it's one of those movies where it's like one second, someone's getting eaten alive and the next second it's a genuinely funny joke. Um, so I really love that one too. And then another one is the loved ones, which is, uh, oh, yeah. have you seen that one? I haven't. And I liked his other movies and I'm stupid. I haven't seen that one. It's really good. So it's a, a, a girl kidnaps a guy who won't go to prom with her, uh, and things sort of escalate from there, but it's just, it's another one where it's like, you never know what's going to happen next. Uh, and it, uh, it, it ends in a way that you don't expect. So uh, those are the three that I would say are very worth watching. All right, cool. And then Seth, you mentioned one called Mind Games to me. You said it's not that great, but you described it and it sounded pretty cool to me. I've been kind of curious to watch it. I mean, you can try it. I'm a big fan of taking risks on random horror movies on Netflix. Uh, <laughs> it's called Mind Games, as in a stupid mind pun. And I did find it pretty dumb, but I watched it. <laughs> I haven't even heard of it. What is it? Uh, the premise is that a group of, you know, random troubled people out on a trip uh, investigate a nearby mine and find their own dead bodies locked in various rooms. Uh, oh, mine games. Yeah. yeah oh, sorry. I get it now. No, no, no. I didn't really know what a pun. Got it now. I still haven't heard of it, but that sounds, I love it. Oh my God. A pun title is amazing. It's a bit of a letdown, I think, but yeah. give it a shot. <laughs> All right, cool. So, guys, we are all out of time, so I think we're going to wrap things up there. So we've been speaking with Seth Dickinson, Grady Hendricks, and Maya Prohovnik. So, guys, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. And that was our panel. So big thanks again to Seth Dickinson, Grady Hendricks, and Maya Prohovnik for joining us on the show. Big thanks as well to Michael Welling, who just signed up this week to support us on Patreon. Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is made possible thanks to support from listeners like you. So if you enjoy the show and want it to continue, please sign up to give us a dollar or two per episode over at patreon.com slash geeks. And if you'd rather make a one-time contribution, you can do that via check or PayPal over at geeksguideshow.com slash crowdfunding. So big thanks again to everyone who's contributed. We really appreciate it. All right, so that was our show. So thanks everyone for listening, and we'll see you next time. 
The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is a production of Wired.com. For more information about the show, visit geeksguideshow.com. To learn more about your host, visit davidbarkertley.com. Music and voiceover produced by yours truly, Jack Kincaid. If you enjoyed this program, tell your friends. If you didn't enjoy it, tell no one. Thank you for listening.